My name is Rudy Kelly, and I am an herb original. I am chief. My dad was a great chief of the Simshan Nation, beloved by his people. But at home, with his family, he brought anger and pain. He told me that to succeed, I would have to leave everything behind. Now I'm on a journey to find out who and what my dad really was. The Herb Original is an all-new CBC podcast. Available now. This is a CBC podcast. Hi, this is Blackpink. Almost a year ago, at the Climate Ambition Summit, we spoke of our journey to learn more about climate change because we are convinced that this is the most important issue of our time. Okay, Blackpink, they're, they're not on the show this week. Anybody who's excited about that, I'm really sorry. But we are going to talk about these K-pop queens and the vast influence that international superstars can have on climate action. Two years ago, Blackpink released that video on their YouTube channel to tens of millions of fans. They were calling on world leaders to take climate action at COP26 in Glasgow. And in recognition of Blackpink's advocacy, the UK's King Charles has just named the quartet honorary members of the Order of the British Empire. I, I applaud Jenny, Jisoo, Lisa and Rosie, better known collectively as Blackpink, for their role in bringing the message of environmental sustainability to a global audience as ambassadors for the UK's presidency of COP26 and later as advocates for the UN Sustainable Development Goals. I can only admire how they can prioritize these vital issues as well as being global superstars. Now, I wonder how much King Charles actually listens to Blackpink. <laughs> you, yeah. you might be thinking... Well, maybe he does. Maybe he does, yeah. Um, do, you might be thinking, does one message from a K-pop band make all that much difference? You just heard Cedar Bell Seiji. And Cedar Bell, you know a thing or two about Blackpink and their climate activism. But just let me ask you, are you a fan? I really enjoy their music a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know I, I actually as a scholar of K-pop, I tend to be a little cagey about which groups I support most actively. I respect uh, the members of Blackpink. I really enjoy their music. They have a very fierce, very um, wonderful performance persona. And yeah, they put on a great show. Okay. All right. Well, now that you've given us a clue, academic, can you please let our listeners know who you are? I'm a professor of Korean and East Asian studies at Busan National University in Korea. Okay. I think that qualifies you. I'm Laura Lynch, and you're listening to What on Earth, where we bring you a world of climate solutions. And today we're asking, does it really matter if pop superstars speak out on climate change? Cedar Bao, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's back up a little bit. For the uninitiated, who makes up the group Blackpink and why has it become so high profile? Well, Blackpink debuted in 2016. Blackpink. They have really racked up an enormous number of accolades. They've been number one on the Billboard 200, which is huge for a Korean girl group. 
Uh, they have the most subscribed uh, channel of any single musical act on YouTube. Uh, their Born Pink World Tour, which uh, was 2022 to 2023, was the highest grossing tour of all time by a female group. I mean, of course, there are female solo acts like Taylor Swift who have had higher grosses. But um, yeah, they are they are huge successes. The first Asian act to headline Coachella, Times Entertainer for the Year in 2022. I mean, there are just so many different ways in which they've demonstrated uh, enormous success around the world. All right. So aside from all that success, um, and aside from what we heard before about its role in promoting COP26 in Glasgow, what other climate advocacy work is Blackpink known for? Well, it's basically all connected to COP26. That's um, when they first started talking about uh, climate change and the environment to their fans and, and anybody else that was listening. We have learned that we must act now, urgently, to prevent much, much worse. Especially their initial videos come across as sort of authentically, hey, we're young people like you. We don't know a whole lot about these issues, but uh, we've realized that this is important and that the future of the planet is going to affect young people like us. And so I think that for a lot of their fans, uh, that approach of not um, lecturing to people, but rather saying, let's discover together, let's learn more together, and let's push decision makers to make wise choices that will, you know, support the environment we're going to live with. So Blackpink has nearly 370 million followers worldwide, and K-pop fans are known for rallying around social justice causes like Black Lives Matter, for example. So when a group as big as Blackpink speaks about limiting global warming, how much of an impact might that actually have? Uh, it, it's hard to tell. You know, Blackpink released a series of videos on their YouTube channel where they talked about um, this, you know, environmental campaign. And those videos, of course, they got millions of views. But we have to ask, like, is everybody paying attention? Because when this award came out, when they were honored by King Charles, there were definitely a lot of people who were surprised, who, who weren't aware of their role in fighting climate change. So we do have some few small hints about the environmental commitment of the different members that have come out over the years. Um, I remember distinctly, Rose, who's from Australia, she spoke up a lot about the massive wildfires uh, that really impacted her. She was quite worried uh, about the issue. Black Pigs also talked about issues in Korea like fine dust. But at the same time, most of their advocacy, most of their request to their fans, the blinks to take climate change has been rather vague. And I wonder if that's enough.
But on the other hand, Blackpink is part of an entertainment sector that's known for high consumption. So can you tell us more about that? Well, they're they're not just part of an entertainment sector known for high consumption. They are brand ambassadors for Chanel, Celine, Dior, and Saint Laurent. The fashion industry is is quite a, a polluting industry. So the interesting thing is that in K-pop fandom, we have a sort of umbrella group called K-pop for Planet, and it's this wonderful organization that was founded by an Indonesian and a Korean K-pop fan, and they have been leaders for raising discourse about the environment and the K-pop industry. And with uh, these four fashion houses that are represented by these four young women who've come out as ambassadors for you know, fighting climate change, K-pop for Planet actually developed a campaign called Unboxed, High Fashion, High Carbon. And they analyzed the public statements about environmental commitments from those four fashion houses. And they also analyzed their emissions and environmental impact year on year. So we do see K-pop fans whether they are directly blinks or just more broadly young people who are motivated to make good change through their K-pop fandom, we do see them stepping up. Well, speaking of K-pop for Planet, we actually spoke with one of their members, Diane Lee, and uh, here is is what she told us. Uh, Actually, the K-pop fans um, get affected a lot by one speech of K-pop idols because K-pop fandoms really care about their favorite idols, like K-pop artists, like what they speak, what they eat, what they wear. All the things are things that the K-pop fans are care about. So even one speech about the climate crisis and urging them to take bolder climate action motivated us. So that's how we started the K-pop for Planet. So whatever's motivating the video, could one simple message from a famous idol be enough to get people to take action? I definitely think so. So many K-pop fans um, really listen to their idols. And I think that uh, the idols can take it farther. They can actually say more substantial things. They need to, to model personal sustainable practices, such as not using one-use plastic bottles or take-out coffee cups and you know, always having a tumbler with them. And I think artists could also popularize initiatives like Meet Free Monday or Buy Nothing Day that encourages a more deliberate attitude towards the environmental costs of consumption. I also think that on a larger scale, artists, whether Blackpink or not, could discuss important issues like overpackaging or industrial waste to educate their fans about environmental impacts of different industries. Because I think greenwashing has taught too many people to only think about the environment in terms of personal actions like recycling. But we need to learn more about which industries are most destructive And that will allow us to call on those industries to change their practices. But what about the the artists, whether it's Blackpink or others, who are flying around the world for tours and playing at these huge venues? What changes should they make? There needs to be low carbon planning. So from the start of designing a tour, 
set design, routing, staffing, promotion, everything has to reflect environmental goals. And they need to do things like discontinuing the use of plastic confetti and streamers. And they definitely need to plan tours to reduce the total miles that are being flown. Now, last month at a Taylor Swift concert, a fan collapsed and died. Taylor Swift has postponed tonight's Eras concert in Brazil after the death of a fan. A 23-year-old woman passed away during the singer's Friday night show. No word on the cause of death, but many are pointing to the extreme heat. On social media, Swift says she is heartbroken. What, what if anything, do you think those celebrities with a lot of money, power, and influence owe to their fans in a warming world? Well, I think in that particular case, we see how uh, big artists, um, whether it's Taylor Swift or Blackpink, actually need to start putting pressure on venues and uh, making venues responsible for creating a more sustainable and safer environment. So as sad as uh, the death of that young woman is, I think that uh, it can actually empower artists to demand that venues do things like provide water coolers where fans can fill up with water throughout the course of a concert that they can demand that venues uh, provide not just heating and cooling systems, but retrofit old heating and cooling systems to have them more environmentally sustainable. Low flow toilets in venues, uh, you know, LED lighting in venues. There are so many different ways in which major, major superstars like Blackpink or Taylor Swift actually have leverage to push venues to create environments that are safe for fans and also more environmentally sustainable. Well, let's see what happens at the at the next concert, whether it be at Blackpink or Taylor Swift. Cedar Bouse AG, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Actually, Cedarbaugh, I have one more burning question for you. You must get this question all the time. Where did you get the name Cedarbaugh from? Uh, I changed my name when I was six, and I thought that was a great name because I did not want to have the same name as other people. And yeah, it was when I was six that I first met somebody with the same name as me, and it was kind of a shock to my sense of myself as a unique individual. And... I knew I could beat her up and make her change her name because she was small. She was small. But uh, then I thought about it rationally. Someday I was going to meet somebody I couldn't beat up. So I should just change my name to something I was never going to find again. (laughs) And has that held true? Oh, yes. I I have met people whose names are Cedar, but I have never met a Cedar Bow. Wow. I was not expecting that answer. (laughs) I was six. (laughs) Hi, I'm Sandra Bartlett. I produced the Salmon People podcast about the fight to save wild salmon. 
Now I'm back with The Poison Detectives, a podcast about a nasty chemical that's poisoning the world. Yes, poisoning the world. It's a man-made chemical family called PFAS, and there are more than 12,000 chemicals in this family. It's in the material that firefighting suits are made from, and one woman went on a quest to find out if it gave her firefighter husband cancer. Okay, we're going to stick with the themes of fashion and consumption for our next story. jingle bells ringing away there that means the holidays are very nearly here and if you've got parties or concerts or special events on your calendar you may just be wondering what am I going to wear (laughs) what on earth Rachel Sanders is here now to chat about clothing and climate hi Rachel hey Laura I wore a new hat for you do you like it I do it's a lovely mustard yellow Mm. and it looks a little bit like a beanie and you, you is it new because you you wear beanies a fair bit. I, I do, yeah. This is a new one, though. I bought it a few weeks ago when the weather got chilly, even though I already have at least half a dozen other knitted hats. <laughs> that sounds like you're feeling guilty. A little bit, yeah. You know, when the seasons change, I get the urge to freshen up my wardrobe. Uh, I crave novelty. I don't buy a lot of new clothes, but sometimes I can't resist. Yeah, I guess that sounds pretty normal. I know a lot of people like that. Most people like having that sense of having something new to wear. It's sort of presenting you all over again to the world. Exactly. And there's also a huge amount of marketing at this time of year, pushing us all to buy for other people, but also for ourselves. But the clothing industry has a climate impact. The UN Environment Program says clothing and textiles are responsible for between 2 and 8% of global emissions. I, I didn't realize it was that high. And I gather you're talking about the manufacturing of the clothing and textiles. That's right, yeah. And we're going to get into that. There are other environmental impacts as well. So all of this said, I do try to control how much I buy, but sometimes I just can't help longing for a fresh fit. So I wanted to find out how can we curb our craving for new clothes and make not having new clothes awesome. Awesome. All right, let's hear what you found out. Okay. I love having something new to wear. Crisp jeans, cozy knits, new boots. But my closet is full. I don't need anything new. I just want something new. And I'm not the only one. For so many of us, clothing matters. I love clothes. I love fashion. What gets me up in the morning is picking out a good outfit. That's Katie Swales. Transitioning to high school, it's like a lot. Depends on what you wear, like that's how you connect with people. And that's Amy Shaw. Katie's in university and Amy's in grade 12. They're both leaders of a nonprofit in Markham, Ontario called Hand in Hand. It recruits young people to work on social issues like sustainability. But like me, Katie and Amy know that when it comes to clothing, sustainability can be difficult. There is a pressure to follow trends. They go so fast. They come in and they're out. But yeah, the pressure is real. There are things that make Katie angry about the fashion industry. The amount of toxins that are in the clothing, the way they're ending up in the landfills so rapidly. So many companies are treating their workers just horribly. That's the kind of stuff that just makes my blood boil. And the clothing industry has a climate impact. Nylon, acrylic, spandex, polyester, that is all plastic. It actually comes from oil. And so the process of making synthetic clothing is very high emitting. 
That's Kelly Drennan with Fashion Takes Action, a Canadian fashion sustainability nonprofit. Kelly says the fashion industry is also linked to deforestation, toxic chemicals, and water pollution. And then there's the waste. The average garment's only worn seven times, and usually it's because it wasn't made very well. Even luxury fashion, you're paying for the name, the brand name, not the quality of the product. Of course, the problems with the clothing industry aren't all our fault. Kelly says we need stricter laws to hold companies accountable, including rules that force them to be responsible for how their garments are recycled. But she says taking personal responsibility for the contents of your closet matters too. So how do we scratch that itch to shop for new clothes and make not having new clothes enjoyable? The most sustainable wardrobe is the one we already have in our closet. So we like to say, shop your closet. If you really feel the need, the urge, because you know retail therapy, there's this sort of chemical thing that happens in our bodies around shopping, pause and think, maybe I already own something very similar. Look through your closet because we wear 20% of our wardrobe 80% of the time. So that's the first step. If you're craving new clothing, take a close look at what you already have. Things like a closet audit are also a fun thing to do, even as a family. Put on a podcast or a playlist and just pull all the stuff out of your closet and count up how many pairs of jeans or sweatpants or hoodies or T-shirts you actually have. Because once you see it all there, it's pretty shocking, actually. Kelly says another key to cutting down on shopping is to take good care of what you have. Wash clothes only when they're really dirty, and learn to sew on a button and darn a hole to make your clothes last longer. If you do really need a particular piece of clothing, try buying secondhand. It can be really fun, and then when you do find a treasure, it's so rewarding. Or organize a clothing swap with friends. We would call them goddess parties in university. We were doing them then. And everybody would just bring a couple bags of stuff over that they just didn't wear anymore. And we'd all just dump them into the middle of the room and just kind of go crazy. And everybody would leave with a few new pieces that they loved. If you need a fancy outfit for a special event. Rental is also really fun. There's a lot of great businesses out there. And if I have a fancy event or something that I'm speaking at, I love to go there because you're getting like really fancy stuff that I could never afford to buy, nor would I ever want to buy something just to wear it once. That can be a really fun experience too. Maybe you've caught on to the key word by now, fun. Kelly says that's the key to reducing your clothing consumption. Katie and Amy, the young women in Ontario, they've figured that out. They've both made an effort to resist the pressure and the urge to shop by thrifting. Last year we had a semi-formal and I got my semi-formal dress from a thrift store and I was like really surprised at how affordable the prices are and how nice the dress was. Like it was in such good condition and it was 15 bucks. One of the best parts about putting your style together secondhand is I feel like you can find your own style and it's much more unique and individual to you. And there's another way they find fun new things to wear. I have an older sister and I love stealing clothes from her closet. (laughs) Swap is the way to go. So assess what you've got, take care of your clothes, thrift, rent or swap. And there's one more way to make not having new clothes awesome. Get creative with repurposing and upcycling. Dye that old shabby shirt a fresh new color. Turn those old jeans into a tote bag. Katie and Amy took this route at a recent sustainable market they organized. We wanted to have merch, have our volunteers wearing it. 
But instead of ordering 50 Gildan hoodies, we challenged everyone to go and find whatever piece of clothing you wanted, a hoodie, a shirt, and we printed our logo on it. Everybody found something and everything was different, which is kind of fun too. For What on Earth, I'm Rachel Sanders. Lots of good advice in there, much of which I have followed over the years. Thrifting is the bomb. It's a great way to get things that you might really like or take a chance on without spending a lot of money, and it helps the planet too. So, Rachel, that was really, really helpful. The only other thing I want to say is that um, you may have heard me call Rachel's hat a beanie, and I was quickly told that maybe I should call it a toque because, after all, we are Canadian. So I really liked Rachel's toque, but I think she needs to learn how to limit her toque supply. And if you have anything that you're in a dilemma about when it comes to the climate, you'd like us to look into it for you, let us know. Email us, earth at cbc.ca, and we'll have a look and see what solutions we can come up with for you. I want to tell you about a story we're working on for a future show. What on Earth's Indigenous Climate Solutions columnist will be back with us. Melina Labakan Massimo is going to bring us a success story about wind power on the Gaspé Peninsula in eastern Quebec. That's where three Mi'kmaq communities worked together to develop a wind farm that's brought clean energy to thousands of homes. But that's not all. It's also brought jobs. It's an inspiring story, and we're going to hear all about it coming up on What on Earth. Remember, you can listen to all our episodes on demand at CBC Listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are dropping two new podcasts every week. And while you're there, you can leave us a review. Even better, tell a friend about us and how awesome we are. That's all for now. The show was put together by Danielle Piper, Rachel Sanders, Vivian Luck, Molly Siegel, Matthias Wilson, and Catherine Rolfson. And on this episode, we heard some of Blackpink's song, To Do, To Do, released by YG Entertainment. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.